This is the Raising Freethinkers podcast. I'm Dale McGowan, editor and co-author of Raising Freethinkers and Parenting Beyond Belief, books for raising compassionate, curious kids without religion. Of Ant Squishing and Crystal Meth and Jesus. A few years ago, I had an interview with a radio station in California. The topic was raising ethical kids. The guests were a minister at a private junior high school and me, the author of books on non-religious parenting. I can usually do these interviews in my sleep, but in this case, I was not prepared for the very first question to come out of the host's mouth. Without a higher power, he asked, how are you going to keep your kids off crystal meth? Now, I can see this kind of thing coming up at some point, but right out of the gate, when he heard he'd be interviewing a non-religious parent, this of all questions was knocking on the back of his teeth. But how's he going to keep him off meth? So I said that instead of a higher power, I encourage my kids to engage these questions with the power of their own reason, the power of their own minds. There are good reasons to stay away from self-destructive things, after all including the fact that they are, you know, self-destructive. And he threw the same question to the minister who said, higher power is the only option. Without Jesus, he'd have no way to keep his kids from whirling out of control into the black abyss. Only by staying tightly focused on biblical principles, he said, can kids avoid annihilation. I wasn't surprised to learn a few minutes later in the show that both the host and the minister had gone through that requisite period of lost years to drugs and alcohol, only to be saved by coming to Christ. I'm sure it works for some people. I'd just love to hear someone on that side acknowledge that maybe there are other ways as well, ways that involve no magic, no gods, just the ability and willingness to apply reason to these problems. Ready for the follow-up question? Trust me, you're not. Now, Dr. McGowan, said the host, I gotta tell you, when you talk about the power of the mind, it sounds an awful lot like Scientology to me. Can you tell me what, if anything, distinguishes your worldview from Scientology? What, if anything? This is what we've come to as a culture. When you suggest teaching kids to reason things out, it sounds to some like the process of auditing past lives to become an operating thetan while casting off the evil influence of Xenu, the dictator of the Galactic Confederacy. I assured him that I had intended to evoke nothing alien, supernatural, or magical by encouraging my kids to use their brains. I also never just said to them, drugs are bad, so you shouldn't do drugs. That's commandment-style morality, and it's weak as hell. Instead, we've talked about what they stand to lose, what others have lost, how addiction works, and what a fragile and fantastic thing the brain is. I remember drawing that last connection vividly as a teenager. I knew that my brain was the key to any success I was going to have, an asset to protect. I didn't want to risk screwing it up for any kind of pleasure or thrill, and drugs were just too unpredictable. It was a simple risk analysis for me, clinched by the death of my dad as an indirect consequence of smoking. So I got the message that when you put poisonous stuff in your body, you risk too much for too little. So I never touched so much as a cigarette. 
My kids got that same basic message. Grandpa David never got to meet them because he became addicted to poisonous stuff and he couldn't stop, and he paid with his life. Now, eventually we added more nuance to that conversation, the difference between pot and something like crystal meth, for example. But it was always about helping them see reasons and weigh consequences instead of just receiving moral pronouncements. It was about developing active rather than passive moral judgment. Our public conversation about morality in this country is just depressing, and it has been for a long time. I remember a few days after the Columbine High School shootings, Bob Barr, who was then a congressman from Georgia, said that if the Ten Commandments were posted in high schools, quote, we would not have the tragedies that bring us here today. He was actually able to picture Klebold and Harris running down the halls of the school, blazing away until they spotted the Sixth Commandment and dropped their guns in horror at the realization that murder is wrong. That was 20 years ago. In 2018, megachurch pastor Robert Jeffress in Dallas made the identical argument, and it's still being made today, after every school shooting. Nothing has changed. We either act as if we have no idea where morality comes from, or we think it comes from lists of memorized rules. We think it's a matter of knowing right from wrong. It's not. Not knowing right from wrong is so rare that it's a complete felony defense. You are rightly considered non compos mentis if you fail to recognize the distinction. Very few people sit in the courtroom and say, wait a minute, are you saying killing a person is wrong? If only I'd had that spelled out for me before I did it. So why do we keep pretending that our children's moral development is best served by dictating lists of rules? Years ago, one day in June, I watched from our front porch as my then five-year-old daughter, Delaney, received a moral lesson on a subject that has fascinated philosophers for centuries, ant squishing. Her brother Connor, who at 11 was pro-life in the deeply literal sense, found Laney busily stomping her way into ant mythology on the front sidewalk. Laney, he screamed, stop it! What for? she asked without pausing. There are lots of others. He spluttered for a minute and then raised his foot and aimed the soul at her. Well, there are lots of other little girls, too. She gave a satisfying scream and ran away. Now, Connor had applied her faulty logic to generate a ridiculous counterexample. It's a nice technique but I wondered if it would stick. A few days later, I got my answer when Lainey was walking around bored and then announced her intention to go squish some ants. Hmm, I said. And she stopped walking. What? Well, I don't know. Does that seem like a good thing to do or no? She shrugged. Tell you what, I said, you think about it for a minute and let me know what you decide. Okay. She took a little walk around the yard and thought. I knew she knew the answer. Everyone knows the answer. Like most basic moral questions, knowing what's right is not the hard part when your foot is raised above the skittering dots on the sidewalk. The challenge in most cases is to be motivated to do what you already know is right. And the best foundation for that right action is the ability to say why something is right. 
Instead of listing thou shalt nots, we need to encourage our kids to discover and articulate reasons. This leads to the development of moral judgment in a way that the passive intake of rules does not. It also helps them develop the ability to think and act morally in the absence of a handy list. Laney came back after about two minutes. I'm not going to squish ants anymore, she said. Oh, why did you decide that? Because they should get to have a life too, she said. I think Connor's foot gave her an insight that screaming stop it failed to do. She had a moment of empathy with the ant. And side note, by the way, if you don't know the book Hey Little Ant, it makes this exact point in the form of an illustrated song. Really good. In his book Kids of Character, the psychologist David Shoemaker told a story about his time as a YMCA after-school counselor years earlier. One day he took a group of second and third graders outside for a break after a rainy morning, and as they crested a small hill into a grassy field, they saw a breathtaking sight. A dense mist was lying over the field, and standing in the fog, totally silent, were perhaps thirty Canada geese. A hush instantly fell over the awestruck kids as they tried not to disturb the scene. But a few seconds later, three kids picked up rocks and ran screaming and throwing toward the flock. The shoemaker wondered afterward what accounted for the two different responses, those whose instinct was to protect and cherish the scene and those whose instinct was to disrupt it and maybe even harm the geese. It wasn't that they were angry or sinister in their intent, really. It was just as quick and obvious to them that this was the right response as it had been to the other kids that immediate silence was the right response. Shoemaker described them as happy victimizers. So what accounts for that difference? This is really what we want to know about moral development, right? I'm, I'm not really worried about my kids shooting up their schools or their veins. Not that it's impossible, but my focus is on more everyday moral things. I want to raise ant non-squishers and goose flock appreciators. I want kids whose hearts break for the suffering of other people, who protect those who are vulnerable from bullies, instead of bullying, who use their power to empower someone else, as Toni Morrison said, who use their freedom to free someone else. So which way do kids lean? Is there natural tendency toward ethical or unethical behavior? The traditional Christian perspective on that is pretty clear. Quote, the drive to sin is embedded in their very natures. That's John MacArthur, author of Successful Christian Parenting. There's only one remedy for the child's inborn depravity, he says, to be born again. This Lord of the Flies idea is absolutely unsupported by research. It's also unsupported by the fact that most of Shoemaker's kids, maybe four out of five, chose quiet awe over mayhem. Marvin Berkowitz 
is one of the key figures in character education today and a contributor to the second edition of Parenting Beyond Belief. And Berkowitz sums up the current research by saying, a child raised in a basically pro-social family, in a pro-social culture, has most of what she needs to be a good person. Of course, we want more than good people. I want to raise my kids to be powerfully ethical. I want them to be ethical leaders wherever they live and work. And one of the most important elements of that is helping kids develop active moral judgment, not just the ability to follow rules. Even if lists of moral rules were effective, the list could never be complete. Berkowitz puts it this way, the most useful form of character education encourages children to think for themselves. There's no way you can prepare them for every moral situation. They have to learn how to figure out what's right and wrong on their own. Now, what I'm circling around here are two different defined parenting styles. Both have books and advocates. They both have names. One is authoritarian parenting, and the other is authoritative parenting. Terrible names. They're too similar, but they're worlds apart in approach and in outcomes. Authoritarian parents have high expectations of conformity. They emphasize the power gradient between parent and child. Rules and actions do not require explanation. They are less responsive to child input, and they tend toward a greater use of physical force or punishment. That's authoritarian parents. Authoritative parents have high expectations of maturity, not conformity. They de-emphasize the power gradient between parent and child. The reasons for rules and actions are explained. That's a big one. They are responsive to child input, and they are less likely to use physical force or punishment. Authoritarian parenting is advocated mostly by social and religious conservatives. Authoritative parenting is advocated more by actual research. Parenting experts come down very strongly on the side of authoritative parenting because it has the best outcomes. In fact, one research team at the University of Illinois found that children around the world tend to reach the same landmarks of moral understanding reliably and on time, no matter what religion they're raised in, if any, and almost no matter what their parents do, with one major exception. The lead researcher said indoctrination is actually worse than doing nothing. So the one thing that we are begged and urged and warned to do, to teach unquestioning obedience to rules, turns out to be the most counterproductive thing we can do for our children's moral development. Psychologist Joan Grusick summed up the research, saying that, quote, parents who tend to be harshly authoritarian are less likely to be successful as moral educators than those who place substantial emphasis on reasoning. But that active moral reasoning doesn't take place in a vacuum. It starts with a positive attachment to a primary caregiver, and it continues by raising the child in a mutually responsive, pro-social environment. In that context of security and care, encourage them to think about the reasons to make positive ethical choices, and then give them opportunities to do so. It's not magic. It's just good parenting. Hi, it's Dale McGowan. Before I sign off, I want to tell you about another Only Sky podcast. Pin Drop with Anthony Pin is a podcast celebrating human creativity in the broadest sense. The urge to create something that didn't exist before, whether a book 
or visual art, music or dance, a new community, or a social movement. Anthony's guests in season one include Sasha Sagan, author of For Small Creatures Such As We, modern art curator Valerie Castle Oliver, historian Chris Cameron, filmmaker Jeremiah Kamara, visual artist Jamal Cyrus, hip-hop activist Harry Allen, visual artist Angelbert Matoire, counselor Candace Gorham, theologian Philip Reed Butler, and professor of secular studies Phil Zuckerman. Subscribe to Pin Drop with Anthony Pin wherever you get your podcasts. The Raising Freethinkers podcast is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from the secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Raising Freethinkers.